At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there, the fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it, because together we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender, member FDIC, copyright 2024, U.S. Bank. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. And that bit of sage investing wisdom by the Rolling Stones came true today. Sometimes to get your head around truly emotional markets like this one, you have to fall back on a simple narrative that can at least put things in a context that you can understand. See, we do know that the bulls and the bears go at it every single day on Wall Street. But today the bulls got exactly what they needed to win. Confidence. At least enough confidence to force those betting against this market, as they have endlessly, to throw in the towel. And that's how you end up with the day where the Dow rallies 372 points, the SP jumps 1.76%, and the Nasdaq assumes 2.48%. Wowza! Of course, it's no secret that this market's got mold, it's got rot underneath, and it all started surfacing last week, perhaps the most momentous week since the Christmas Eve massacre for the Bulls in December of 2018. Back then, the market was cascading as everything that could go wrong went wrong, and the short sellers pressed their bets hard. Initially, they got their way as the Fed tightened too hard, but then they had to cover their shorts as the bulls caught a few breaks, enough to get what they needed and turn things around once the Fed backed off a few days later. More on that historical analogy later. I think it could be a good blueprint here. For now, I want to talk about what it looks like when good things happen after a nightmarish period of bad news. This nightmare lasted a long time. 14.5 months for the Dow and the S&P, 16 months for the Nasdaq. The average bear market only lasts 13 months. During this period, anything that could go wrong, though, did go wrong. Every time we thought the economy would cool down, for example, allowing inflation to come in and the rapid tightenings to end, we'd get some scalding red-hot number out of nowhere, and interest rates would then soar. Every time we thought we'd get some big earnings surprise from a gigantic tech company, we were sadly disappointed. Whenever we thought we'd see some prudent layoffs or orderly unravelings, troubled companies were saved, usually by knaves, fools, Mount Bonks or memes, but their money's as green as anybody else's, or was. And don't even get me started on the travesty of a mockery of a sham that is crypto, where bogus new coins seem to be created by the day. 
The whole fiasco finally took on new dimensions last week when Fed Chief Jay Powell exasperated that incredible, almost emotional, because it's Jay Powell, exasperated appearance on Capitol Hill, where he basically said, this inflation beast just refuses to be slain. We're going to really have to ramp up rates, with the implication that he's far from finished bringing the pain. A big 50 basis point hike just a week ago seemed natural, definitely coming our way at the next Fed meeting this week, just next week. And we figured that nothing would be wrong. Well, let's just say we figured that if he does a half point, it was simply a way station on the way to 6% for the Fed's fund rate. I'm calling that onerous. Winner, winner. Then totally out of nowhere, less than 20 hours after this testimony, we get the single most deflationary action that could possibly be. The destruction of little-known financial institutions that happened to actually be emblematic of inflationary America. And that entity was Silicon Valley Bank. And that's why I think this moment feels like Jay Powell's great 2018 pivot. When his rhetoric got too hawkish and he finally had to change course, allowing the market to roar. See, Silicon Valley Bank, in some ways, represents everything that Powell's been fighting against. It was a bank for uber-rich venture venture capitalists, actually not that sympathetic a group, who kept pumping out stock for new companies at this point aren't really needed. Typically, cloud enterprise software plays that we all had to eat and the market couldn't handle, then borrowing against shares that aren't publicly traded yet, if ever, and so they can spend their money pushing up real estate prices while planting new vine varietals, building 100-foot yachts, and, of course, some seaside mansions to boot. Think about it. The whole wretched inflationary edifice of excess simply vaporized over a couple of days' time. It was obliterated by two things. One, hard to understand, durational risk from investing in longer-term, high-quality, largely government-backed bonds that still lost a lot of value as rates soared from where they bought them. And one easy to understand, a classic bank run. The gr- of the grim news, interest rates plummeted thanks to the wipeout of this germ of the inflationary epidemic. Even though we didn't get it the way we wanted, we got what we needed. Since then, every single negative that had previously been able to crush the bulls has broken against the bears. For months, we've had this heedless destruction of Credit Suisse, a bank that simply seems incapable of making money in good times or bad. Just when it finally looked like the thing was going to die, the Swiss basically invented a public sovereign fund to bail it out. Greatest Swiss invention, I would say, since the cuckoo clock, at least if you believe the third man. Then we learn that First Republic, another bank catering to the super wealthy, looks like it's going under, as it does protest too much. And what happens? A consortium of banks gets together, kind of like the end of It's a Wonderful Life, and puts in more cash than Uncle Billy lost. So First Republic stays open. Another save. Well, this one actually looks a lot more like Potter's Bank than it does the Bailey Brothers building and loan. Stock's down big after hours when we got a bit more detail about the cash infusions, including suspension of the bank's dividend. Still, we're not talking about First Republic as another casualty of this bank crisis for now. It looks like another save. Then the biggest pinatas of this market, large cap tech, the big value donors, as they shed literally trillions of dollars in market capitalization, suddenly start catching bids and starting rolling over. Why? Because the bears realize if any of these mega cap companies go all gonzo like Mark Chainsaw Zuckerberg, their stocks will soar. Can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Finally, tonight, FedEx, serial disappointment, reports a monster of a profitable quarter with new CEO Raj Subramanian at the helm. And boy, did he do a great job. So now what happens? 
Take it from someone who's watched these wars play out for 40 years. The bears don't give up this easy. They know they can destroy a bank with a few reckless tweets faster than the new bank firefighter team can put in deposits. They aren't going to stop here. The bears will still try to make the most of earning shortfalls, too. I wouldn't pass them to try to corner the egg, bread, or mac and cheese markets to make us all feel inflation prone. Doesn't matter, though. Something's changed. The inflationary spiral seems to have been swept away for a moment, along with the deposits of Silicon Valley Bank. Along with its demise has come the annihilation of copper, a powerful gauge of economic activity. So, you know, bottom to oil, proving that the president, who depleted the strategic petroleum reserve at much higher prices, could be as great an investor as the legendary short seller Jay Gould, that American rascal. Biden always liked to brag about being the poorest man in the Senate, but maybe he missed his calling as a money manager because he accidentally pulled off one amazing trade. Most of all, what matters isn't whether Jay Powell gives us a quarter point basis rate hike next week or no rate hike at all. I think we'll be fine either way. What does matter is that eight days ago, we thought Powell was going to hit us with 50 basis points because inflation refused to be beaten. Now we know he doesn't need to do anything to beat inflation. Those bank runs will do it for him. For real, the job is done. We just need to watch it play out. Sure, the bulls didn't get it the way they wanted it with a soft landing and a gradual reduction in oil prices, but they got what they needed with a stunning flame out of the first national bank of wretched excess and a few banks more. Bottom line. We got what we need, and now glorious, we no longer need to worry that Jay Powell's going to have to blow a 50 basis point fuse. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, I bailed on another penny stock today at a substantial loss. I don't know what it is, but it seems like every one of these companies turns out to be terribly managed. Anyways, as you might imagine, I'm looking for a real thoroughbred to get me back in the winner's lane, and I wanted to see if you think Wendy's is saddled up. Okay, remember, a penny stock doesn't get to be a penny stock because management's good. Wendy's is okay. They still have some inflationary issues, and they haven't taken full advantage of what I think is some of the labor savings that they can have. Um, It's too early for me to recommend Wendy's. Now, you can't always get what you want, but we got what we needed. And now we no longer need to worry that Jay Powell's going to have to blow a 50 basis point fuse. On May Money tonight, Okta has rebounded off its lows. So is it time to circle back to the cloud company? I'm learning more from the CEO. Then, if the Fed pivots, who could be a winner of a brand new market? I'm sharing what to watch. And Signet soared 11% today after earnings. So uh, what did Wall Street love about that quarter? I'm digging into the numbers. The company's top brand. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Could some of the cloud-based software stocks finally be getting their mojo back? Consider the case of Okta, the software company focused on identity management, very important niche in cybersecurity. Here's a stock that actually lost 85% of its value from its peak in February 2021 to its lows last November. Since then, though, the stock's been on a roll, shooting from 44 at the bottom all the way to 84 today. It doesn't hurt that early this month, Okta reported a huge sales and earnings beat. They made 30 cents per share. Wall Street was only looking for nine cents. Then their full-year earnings forecast was more than double what the analysts expected. More important than the numbers is the fact that Okta's gotten religion about the market's new mentality. Investors don't want growth at all costs. They want profitable growth. And that's now what Okta's giving them. So can this stock keep climbing, especially if the Fed eases up on the rate hikes now that we've gotten at least a handle on some of the banking crises? Earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Todd McKinnon, the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Okta, about the company's new focus on profitable growth. So take a look. Todd, it's great to see you in New York. It's great to be here with you on Mad Money once again in person. I I am thrilled to see you. and I'm actually really thrilled about how the company is doing. I know you had, by your own admission, had to make some changes. But the pivot toward profitability and the number of new customers at a time when very few people are getting them, astounding. What's happening? Well, I, what you're seeing is the fundamentals of our business are very sound, whether it's customer success. We're proud of our 17,600 customers, companies, great companies like Peloton, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, McKesson, and on and on. We're making these customers successful both with their workforces, more secure, more productive, and their customers, helping their customers connect to technology. And this is a magical formula, driving customer success in this economy, a foundation of customers being successful. It's, it's what we're all about. Well, I think, I always love your website. There's a moment that all of us exi- ha- have been just furious about because we sign up for all these streaming sites. You offer a solution for what it takes to get on when you're trying to watch some program on streaming. Yeah, and it's interesting in the streaming wars in the streaming world, it's all about ease of access. You want, when you're on your set-top box or you're on your mobile phone, you want to be in easily and watching your favorite show. But also, they want to be secure. They don't want to have account sharing. They don't want to have people sharing passwords. They want to make sure they monetize their their technology. And this is what every organization is doing. They're trying to connect with customers. They want to drive new revenue streams, especially in times of economic uncertainty. The more top-line growth you can get, the more new customers, the more you can strengthen your customer relationships. And you have to do both. You have to make it easy to use your services 
and you have to make sure they're secure so the bad guys can't get in. So you're you're monetizing what the customers are receiving value for, and no one's taking advantage of that. I think that's remarkable because you've got look, you've got workforce ID, you have customer ID. You're winning in both, and one of the reasons I think you're winning is you're not only a one-stop shop, but you're neutral. Everybody can work with you. Yeah, it's important. Identity is the is behind adoption of cloud technologies. It's adoption. It's behind the proliferation of customer-facing technology. But the key concept here is that the various technologies that customers want to use to either make their employees more productive or provide better capability to their customers, they're all made by many, many vendors, many, many partners of ours. Including Microsoft. Including Microsoft, including Salesforce, including Google, including Amazon. And what we can do is we can be this neutral front door that lets the customers choose. And that's going to be the best result for our customers. So they're not locked into any monolithic platform. They can choose the best technologies to further their business objectives and make themselves most successful. Well, when you say best technologies, you're also talking about newest technologies. I have said over and over again that if you want to know about what's going to happen with ChatGPT, it's NVIDIA, NVIDIA, NVIDIA. What I didn't realize was ID for ChatGPT is you. OpenAI is a customer of ours, and when you talk about our business, it's workforce identity, and that's that's 60% of our revenue, and customer identity, which is helping our customers connect to their customers, that's 40% of our revenue. And our goal is to get the business mix even, 50-50, both growing very quickly. So OpenAI is a great success story on the customer identity side. We have a great service that's super easy for developers to use, so when they were building, ChatGPT, they started with a developer trial of our customer identity cloud, and it was very successful, fit right into their products, got out of their way, let them focus on the core of what they do, which is great AI technology. And as that product has grown, we've grown with them, and now we're very excited to work with them, helping them with their customer identity needs at scale, as this product really is a revolutionary product in the world. I have now included you in the panoply of who can win. Now, one of the things that people have been hurt by is this economic downturn. There's a breathtaking moment in one of your presentations where you talk about when you were born as a company, and nobody believed in it because it was an economic downturn. Yeah, we, we, we were born in the echoes of the 2008 financial crisis, and it was, a, in a lot of ways, an unsettling time to quit my job and go start a new company and take and that where risk. where were you before? I worked at Salesforce before, I, and it was, a, it was a great established company, and leaving that was pretty hard, but it, it just goes to show you that Economies go up and economies go down, but these transformational technology changes are everlasting and and powering things like cloud adoption and customer-focused identity is is a long-term bet that is really paying off over the long term. I mean, a lot of this, of course, you've got this secular tailwind of the cloud, but it extends to companies you would never believe, like NOV, the old national oil, well, Varco, oil services, and then Sonos. I mean, these have very little in common other than the fact that they need technology. Every, Every company needs technology, and identity is at the heart of so much of this technology. We're benefiting Um, and multiple industry trends and multiple segments. We have a new product called Oct Identity Governance that is utilized by all kinds of companies. NOV is a great example, a more traditional, established, larger company, and also the collaboration company Notion, which is a small, innovative upstart. Both are benefiting from our Oct Identity Governance. It just shows you the breadth to which our, our technology can apply. And I know you didn't name the company, so I'm not going to name it, but a, a national retailer that does agriculture and also consumer 
uh, many, many stores goes to you very, uh, very perspicacious CEO. Now, why do they need you? Why can't they just have your credit card and everything goes fine? Well, they're, they're trying to, it's a retail chain, so traditionally it's been bricks and mortar, but like every organization, they're trying to compete online and they want to compete with Amazon at the high end, they want to compete with other retailers that are doing hybrid experiences between online order and store, pickup and store, and they're trying to connect with our customers and we're, and identity's at the heart of that and we're working with them so they can focus on their core competency and leave some of the identity heavy, heavy lifting to us. Well, I think people, when they're thinking about the NASDAQ and how troubled the stock market is, I think that uh, because of economic reasons, see, people seem to forget, Todd, that you guys can make a lot of money, grow, at a time when the GDP could go down, it wouldn't matter. Well, you see in our, in our the most recent Q4 results we reported, it's over $40 million of non-GAAP operating income, which you're seeing leverage in our model. I'm so thrilled for that because those are the stocks that are to go up, and those who don't make the pivot, as we both know, don't get to the promised land. This is why Okta, I think, is not nearly done its move up. I think you've done really remarkable. In three months, you did it. Really well, extraordinary. You're seeing leverage in the model. You're seeing growth moderates, profitability goes up because of these core underlying yes. foundational trends that are very strong. Well, look, i got to hand it to you. I was sure hoping, you know, I was pulling for you the whole way because I've liked Okta so much. Tom McKinney, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Okta. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Manly's back after the break. Coming up, everything you need to know about a dovish turn by the Fed. Kramer accentuates the positive. Next. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. We spent all day focusing on what could go wrong with this sudden banking crisis. But what happens if something goes right? Specifically, what happens if the banking crisis prompts the Federal Reserve to change course and back away from aggressive rate hikes? I find it hard to believe the Fed will keep ruthlessly tightening at a time when they're desperately trying to stave off more bank failures, especially when those failures were caused only in part by the Fed raising rates too rapidly from their generational lows, where many banks invested billions in deposits causing heavy, unrealized losses in their portfolios, including the beleaguered First Republic Bank, which is possibly being rescued, by a consortium of banks depositing billions of dollars in fresh cash to stave off a bank run. So what do we do if, say, at next week's Fed meeting, we only get a one-and-done 25 basis point rate hike, or maybe even no rate hike at all? Don't be too worried about the European Central Bank's double rate hike today because their rates are still much lower than ours. If the Fed takes a dovish turn, I think that's incredibly positive for the stock market. What would it look like? 
Well, you have to look back to, uh, let's say, not that far to find a recent precedent. The last time the Fed stopped tightening was in late 2018, early 2019. At that point, they'd been gradually raising interest rates for three years. Jay Powell took over Fed chief in 2018 and decided to ratchet up the pressure, putting through four rate hikes that year. And then also, of course, making some incredibly hawkish comments about he was willing to overshoot with higher rates, even though we really didn't have much inflation at the time. He laid out a schedule for a series of quarter point rate hikes to ensure inflation stayed low. In response, the S&P 500 plunged 20 percent from peak to trough in the fourth quarter of 2018, only bottoming on the day after Christmas. The Fed put through its final rate hike that December, which led to uh, a Last crescendo of selling. I remember that. I was on vacation right here. Wrecked my whole vacation. But that's okay. I didn't care. Christmas Eve massacre. But within days, it became clear Powell was having a change of heart. By the time January got going, he backed away from his plans for lockstep series of rate hikes. He kept talking about all the way over here. By late January, he admitted that the case for rate hikes had weakened. We didn't get any more. And in fact, by August of 2019, the Fed was actually cutting interest rates. We got three interest rate cuts from that August through the end of the year. And then COVID hit in 2020 and all hell broke loose. But that's another story. What you need to understand is that the Fed shifts from hawkish to dovish when they go from your enemy to your friend. That's always very good for stocks. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the tape. But the opposite comes true, too. The Dow jumped 22 percent in 2019. The S&P surged almost 29 percent. And the Nasdaq soared 35 percent. Of course, some groups did better than others. So what were the best stocks to own the last time the Fed stopped tightening? Okay, let's take a look at these. Really great graphics to really put it in in, uh, perspective. Look at the S&P 500. The best performing sector was information technology. That was up 54%, followed by the industrials up 34%, the financials up 32%, and the consumer discretionary stocks up 30%. Meanwhile, healthcare is pretty much even with the S&P, up 29%. All of this makes sense. Just like last year, tech was hit hardest during the monster sell-off in the fourth quarter of 2018. It's full of growth stocks that simply became less valuable when interest rates are rising. Uh, And uh, because their future earnings power is worth less by comparison. Within tech, the semiconductor and semiconductor equipment cohort shot up 92%. Holy cow. That's what you saw beginning today, right? Followed by software up 50%. That's you saw today, too. But the whole sector did great. And look, there's a reason why the Nasdaq's been outperforming the Dow and the S&P this week, especially today. Anyone who believes the Fed will scale back its war against inflation knows that means it's time to buy the stocks that make up the technology cohort. That said, if you're going to make this bet, you still need to be a little selective. I don't want you going near any unprofitable tech companies in overcrowded industries like enterprise software. I recommend sticking with the senior growth names this time around. Larger companies with good growth that also generate real earnings. Much safer strategy because we don't really have an idea of what the Fed's actually going to do. This is the unprofitable text, though. They need rate cuts, not just rates staying flat. And I don't think we're going to get rate cuts immediately. It's not going to be that much like 2019. Next up, the industrials were the second best performing in 2019. They got a boost from anything that's going to make this economy stronger. In particular, professional services, electrical equipment, and building products led the way. This time, I think it would be a little different. For example, we've got brand new aerospace cycle, tremendous demand for planes all over the world. Uh, but particularly, by the way, in, in China, where I think the 
I think the order is going to be gigantic. And that will benefit from the upcoming wave of federal infrastructure spending. Without a specific catalyst, though, you might want to be a bit more cautious with the pure cyclicals. Anyone who bought the steels this week got hurt. The financials were the third best performing group in 2019, but obviously they're not going to lead the way this time, not even if the Fed cuts rates aggressively. We got a banking crisis for everything. That's what's causing the Fed to probably take the foot off the brake. While I'm wary of this whole group, I will say you can use big pullbacks in the highest quality financials. Think JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, or even American Express. Just be prepared to buy them gradually, please, on the way down, because it could take a while for this group to get its groove back since it's the epicenter of the blast zone. Finally, the fourth best group for 2019 is a little tricky. It's called the consumer discretionary space. I like this group in a world where the Fed stops tightening, but you got to pick your spots here, too. Target was the best performer in the sector in 2019, up 94%. Harder to recommend these days, given that they've had several tough quarters in a row, but worth owning if you think they've got their inventory situation figured out. Chipotle came in second, had it for lunch today. Delicious. Still love it. Best Buy was third. I think they could finally be getting through the trough. But you, know, you can't go crazy because they have a lot of PCs. Last but not least is the casino stock group. And I, I thrived, they thrived back then. I'm conflicted here because while people love to travel post-pandemic, we also know consumers are increasingly tapped out. Travel trust owns win. It's been a winner of late, been a loser for a long time, though. How about individual stocks? The eight performers in the SP 500 are the best ones. Let's go through them. I'm sorry, not the best. Yeah, what is it? Okay, we start with Enphase, okay, and then Solar Edge. Ha! AMD, wouldn't you know? See that stock today? Charadine, then financial tech company Paycom, Insulet, do a lot of controversy there. Lamb Research, just uh, one of my absolute favorites, as you know, and Generac Holdings, which has been a real dog of light. Enphase and Solar Edge are both alternative energy plays. Another group that could work this year after the big renewable subsidies and the so called Inflation Reduction Act. I've been recommending Enphase for quite a while now. Lamb Research is semiconductor capital equipment company. You know, I think it's the best. I think the semis are turning here, but it might be a little too for some. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, I do think that Lamb has been one of my greatest recommendations ever since it merged with Novellus. Now, I do have some caveats. We're only looking at 2019 here, the most recent time the Fed has tight, stopped tightening. doesn't necessarily mean that will happen again in 2023, even if j Powell gives us what we want. Still, generally speaking, when the Fed pivots, the stock market pivots too. In that scenario, tech will almost certainly lead the way. Doesn't hurt that we're getting increasingly bullish ourselves on the semiconductor space as the dastardly inventory glut is finally relieved. Certain pockets of the industrials can always work, too, especially the ones that can feed into the federal trough over the next federal years, along with all things aerospace. As for consumer discretionary stocks, let's just take them case by case. Hey, by the way, FedEx pl- fit in really good in this, pl- this plan, too. What a great quarter after the close. Bottom line, if the Fed pivots next week, we're looking at a brand new market with the potential for a wholesale shift in leadership. Just bear in mind, that's a mighty big if, but one that history says will indeed go the way of the bulls. Jacqueline in New Jersey. Jacqueline. Booyah, Jim. It's Jacqueline from New Jersey. I want to get your thoughts on PNT. I have about uh, no. I think I th- look. Here's the problem. I think PNC is fine. Uh, I wish they had stepped up to the plate and worked uh, very closely with the Fed to be able to take over some of these banks that I think take over actually First Republic or even uh, I I think they could have taken over uh, Silicon Valley Bank if they go to the Fed, say, listen, you put it in receivership, we'll take the assets and liabilities and we'll take care of it. But they didn't show the level of creativity that I came to expect from this bank. And so therefore, I am not going to back it. Let's go to Nick in West Virginia. Nick. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Nick. 
Um, there's a law going around about solvency and liquidity issues with regional commercial banks and deposit safety. However, this company is trading near cash value, and they're growing their earnings. And that company is Charles Schwab. Yeah, you know, look, I'm, I'm a, I've been at this game now for about 19 years. And one thing I know to do is to keep my mouth shut about banks when I don't know the truth. The company came on, said I talked a real good game, CEO of about 50,000 shares. I think your money, if you have your money in Schwab, I think it's going to be fine. Did that, was that a recommendation to Schwab? No, but I've been living down something I did just like that 15 years ago and people didn't listen. It's not a recommendation to Schwab to stop, but you can certainly keep your money in the bank. If the Fed pivots to a more dovish stance next week, and that is a big if. We're looking at a brand new market with the potential for a wholesale shift in leadership, and I need you to be aware of that. Much more made money at Cleveland my exclusive with Signet Jewelers. Nice quarter. After the earnings, can the stock shine bright like a diamond? I'm getting the latest in the story from the CEO. Then JP Morgan came out with a note this morning that made me think something could be cooking at Amazon. But what's really aloof? I'm taking into the story big time, and you're going to love it, except for if you work at Amazon. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with... Kramer! Look at the stock of Signet Jewelers Go. This morning, the parent of K Jewelers, Jared, and Zales reported a better than expected quarter, and its beaten down stock ended up surging more than 11%. Of course, these numbers weren't great in absolute terms. Signet same store sales were actually down more than 9% year over year, although that's what Wall Street was looking for. Their guidance for the current quarter was a tad light. But there was enough good news to exceed Wall Street's very low expectations. Do not take it from me, though. Earlier today, we got a chance to sit down with Jenna Drosos, the CEO of Signatures. Take a look. Ms. Drosos, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Jenna, another really spectacular quarter, especially in light of the fact of two things. One, that the consumer seems to be pulling back with other retailers. But two, you have a particular macro wave of engagements that turned out to be a headwind. I think our viewers would love to know more. Sure. Um, So, you know, we operate in uh, part of our jewelry category is the bridal segment, and it has two really distinct parts, engagements and weddings. Uh, It turns out that couples usually get engaged about three years after they start dating. And so we're seeing actually right now a decline in engagements because three years ago, we were uh, just coming into COVID and people were quarantining. There weren't as many in-person events. So last year in calendar 2022, we saw a low double-digit decline in engagements. We'll see the same thing in calendar year 23, but by 24, it starts to go up again, and by 25, we'll be back to normalized levels. Well, I think what's remarkable is your mosaic of business, including by the fact that you're closing underperforming stores, putting more money toward the good ones, has uh, made it so I, I'm starting to understand that Signet has an aspirational uh, wealth aspect to it that many people did not know about or that you've created since you got there. 
Yes, it's very important. Uh, one of our goals is to grow market share. We've now proven that we can do that in a strong category environment or, like we saw last year, a down category environment. That's because our financial health is such that we continue to invest sustainably in our competitive advantages while we also uh, give strong returns to shareholders. But part of those investments has gone to creating a broad and differentiated banner portfolio. At the top end, we have Blue Nile, Diamonds Direct, Jared, uh, and, and James Allen. Uh, those are our players that we would say are in the accessible luxury part of the category, typically price points above $1,000. Average engagement rings up in the three to $5,000 range. And then we also have K, Zales in the mid-market. We have banter uh, down in the value segment. So we're really casting our net broadly, serving all consumers who want to, uh, you know, join our mission of helping them celebrate life and express love. Well, because you don't have a lot of what we call in the business comps, comparable situations, I don't think people can understand so many of the retailers I follow are getting a beginning a stretched balance sheet. You're quite the opposite. No, this is really a great story of um, of Signet Jim. Um, we have very strong financial health. Our liquidity as a company is now more than three times higher than it was when we started our transformation. Over two point six billion dollars of cash on the balance sheet. We've cut our leverage ratio in half from four times to two times, which is very healthy by paying down half a billion dollars of debt. And during that same time, we've returned $1.4 billion to shareholders in share buybacks and dividends. We bought two companies in all cash deals almost $900 million, and we've invested three-quarters of a billion dollars in CapEx to really improve our store formats, our digital, our, our connected commerce and digital environment is best in class in jewelry, and our technology and data. Well, I'm glad you talked about technology and data because it, everything at Signet used to be before you got there one off. Now you have loyalty customers who look like they keep coming back and buying and buying. That's been a great launch for us. Uh, about a year ago, we launched a loyalty program on Jared. We expanded it uh, a little over six months ago to Kay and Zales. We already have over 2 million members. We expect we'll have 4 million by the end of the year. This is a wonderful way that we stay in touch with our customers. We build relationships with them, and then we create lifetime value by helping them with birthdays, with anniversaries, all kinds of services to repair their jewelry. It's really been a strong program. And then the last thing in terms of dividing what the old signet was versus the new signet, the old signet really was, uh, in some ways, many, a, a kind of a faulty bank, I would say. You decided to scrap that immediately. You now have a plan to make it so that people can borrow money in order to be able to pay, pay things. But that borrowing does not uh, come to your balance sheet. It comes to uh, outside. That's right, Jim. We have a very strong portfolio of financial services offerings. We have a private label credit card. We have leasing agreements that customers can choose. We have a split pay option where you can divide your payments for an item over a number of months. Uh, that's a particular um, you know, financial service that's interesting to Gen Z customers. And all of these 
do not have an impact on our balance sheet. We're completely clean in that sense. But I would say probably the biggest transformation of Signet is our culture. We have a culture of innovation and agility now, building leaders at every level, diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of our strategy. And our team has really made a big difference. Well, we have to wrap things up, but I want you to come to New York and we'll spend a couple segments talking about what you've done for a company that a lot of people have written off and is now probably the the number one in the category, but also you're the number one in the category of retail. What a turnaround. That's Shinna Droso, CEO of Signatures. You said you told me when you came in this could happen. Frankly, you know I was doubtful. Now I'm a full-in believer in what you've done. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thank you so much. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the lightning round. Because we're going to start with Eric in Michigan. Eric. Jim Kramer, I've been with you since 05. Thank you so much for getting me bit by the bug. What do you think about 05? Then you know we're beginning our 19th year here at Mad Money. I kid you not, SoFi. Uh, I think it, I, I'm kind of hitting pause in the banks right now that are losing money. So I can do it. I just got to hit pause. I want to go to Michael in Michigan. Michael. How's it going, Jimbo? This is Michael Collins from Michigan State University. Holy today, cow, we got, a, we got a lot of Michigan State people. What's up? Go Spartan. Um, today I'm calling about Juron Corporation. They recently just You know, I, I'm not I've, recommending any stocks that are losing money now. Period. End of story. Can't. Too dangerous. Let's go to Luis in Illinois. Luis. Hey, Jim. Luis in Illinois. Can you hear me okay? You sound great. How about me? Do I sound okay? Awesome. You, you sound great. Awesome. Wow, what a rally today. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a nice rally. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to the, uh, to the breakdown. Let's have a latte talk about it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I do look forward to uh, the breakdown later for sure. And, uh, when the tape comes out. Of course. <laughs> But, uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about um, ticker symbol PSX, uh, Phillips 66. Uh, I wanted to see what your outlook was at. Okay, now, a lot of people feel that this is the group that's rolling over. I say when you're at five times earnings, but your earnings are still going to come out pretty good, you actually want to hold the stock. I can't press the buy, buy, buy button because that cohort is so nasty right now. I need to go to Jerry in Ohio. Jerry. Booyah, Jim. Well, that was done excellently. How can I help? Love Thank what you. you do for us. Hey, Thank you. I want to know what you thought of ticker symbol F-R-E-Y, Frey. Uh, in another market, that would be good because I really believe in EVs. But instead, I just tell you, you, have to, you just go buy Tesla. Let's go to Chad in California. Chad. Hey, Jim. A big, soggy Southern California booyah to you. Oh, cold, clear New York booyah to you. What's up? Stock today is Redfin. Hi, uh, money loser, real estate, in other words, stay away. Let's go to Michael in Michigan, in Massachusetts. Michael. Jim, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Oh. 19 years of taking calls, I'm still taking 
What's up? Good for you. The STLD, Steel Dynamics. What's going really, on? Really, really good company, but the steel pricing is just beginning to roll over. I thought the new core, core uh, pre-announcement today, which is a typical pre-announcement, was a little light. we got to stay away from the steels for a little bit. They're not the place to be right now. How about we go to Eric in Missouri? Eric. Jim. Booyah. Right. What do you think about Walgreens? Uh, when I get my, if I one day can go to Walgreens and just get a Gillette razor without having to wait longer than it takes for Amazon to deliver to me, I'll be all over Walgreens like a cheap suit. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it's game on at Amazon. Kramer revisits the tech giant with some conclusions that may surprise you. Next. Telling you something's cooking at Amazon. At least that's what I thought when I read J.P. Morgan's endorsement of the Internet Colossus this morning. I got to say, most research doesn't pique my interest much anymore. I still read as much of it as I can. It's something I've been doing since 82, when I used to devour not just research from Goldman Sachs, but from every firm. It's part of what I call the craft. This J.P. Morgan piece stuck out to me, though, because even though it was a reiteration of a previous outperforming or buy, it struck me as something you need to hear about. This piece is nominally about an amalgamation of Amazon errors. But what's shocking and different, though, is that it addresses not just the fundamentals, but the sentimentals, meaning how the investment community feels about the stock. Sell, sell, sell. J.P. Morgan believes that, and I quote, Investor sentiment on Amazon is near multi-year lows. Why? Well, the iconic American company has seen its stock rally almost 19% of the past three years. S&P's up almost 66% over the same period. You know what? That is stunningly horrible. It's actually downright embarrassing level of underperformance, something that calls into question whatever the heck the company's doing out there. And don't even get me started on last year's losses. Playoffs? Playoffs? Why has Amazon stock done so badly? Because lately they've been putting up some just heinous numbers, a cumulative negative free cash flow of minus $21 billion over the past two years. There's a hideous slowing in the once red-hot Amazon Web Services business. There's margin compression, that once great division, especially in North America. Right now, everything about Amazon is screaming, short me, short me, short me. I'm a pitiful, helpless giant. Actually, no, let me go one step further. Tacking something on to Nixon's famous phrase, Amazon's a pitiful, helpless, morbidly obese giant. And that's exactly why I want to buy the stock. I know, sounds crazy, but hear me out. Wall Street cares less about absolute performance and more about whether a company's getting worse or getting better. As for Amazon, it's arguably the single most bloated enterprise in America. It's hard to imagine it getting worse from here. I simply refuse to believe that this company, with its incredible prime deal, with its supreme cloud dominance, with its successful advertising business, will continue to allow itself to be this awful. And make no mistake about it, it's awful. But to put it another way, Amazon's just too good to be this bad. There's too much here that can be fixed if they pivot like Meta Platforms did and embrace efficiency. Amazon simply has to face facts and fire, yes, 100,000 people, close millions of square feet of warehouse space that they don't need, need, and reduce its data centers instantly. I mean, like right this minute, no, yesterday. It has to stop spending shareholders' money. It, guys, shh, psh, it's shareholders' money on projects that don't turn a profit. And it's got way too many of them. It's driving me a little crazy. 
I'm not asking for them to pick the names out of a gigantic hat, but they got to muster out at least five divisions worth of workers pronto, which I think they can do and still perform fabulously. Sometimes I wonder if Amazon is actually a secret government's jobs program masquerading as a publicly traded company, because I can't think of any other reason they'd employ so many people, even if they do go same day and use swaths of the country. Now, we bought uh, Amazon for the Travel Trust back when the stock was in deep hole after being attacked by then-President Trump for getting what he claimed was a sweetheart deal with the post office. That kerfuffle crushed the stock, and we scooped it up. For a long time, it was a winner. We were proud of it, in large part because of the incredible work done by none other than CEO Andy Jassy when he was running Amazon Web Services. This man's a competitive workaholic who's dedicated to winning. Alas, he hasn't been doing much of that lately. I think this piece of research from J.P. Morgan is a clarion call that will finally force him to take action and transform this underperforming cyclical dog into a leaner, meaner enterprise that will shock people with its newfound metaverse-like profitability. If he doesn't do that, though, I can tell you there's simply no reason to own this stock whatsoever. If you want a cyclical, just go buy a steelmaker or a good tool-and-die foundry. At least they care about making, not losing, money. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimvia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. 